0: And I'm Jake. And this is our Top Fuel episode, which was honestly one of the most (laughs) incredible motoring experiences I've ever had. It was amazing. And and unexpected, too. Oh, yeah. I've never found myself like, yeah, I want to go. I want to go watch Top Fuel. Everybody's like, yeah, you should go, blah, blah, blah. Never been like, I really need to go do that.
1: No one gives you any expectation to what that experience really is. They don't say
0: why that you need to go. So (laughs) we're going to have to, we're going to try and get across to you guys why you need to go. And we're not sponsored by NHRA or anything like that. But I do want to try and implore everybody to go. And this episode will hopefully explain why.
1: Yes. So... Should we, how, how should we start this? Okay, out? So should let's, we start from the beginning? Well,
0: we, let's let everybody know what's kind of going on. So, we went to the NHRA Nationals at Brainerd. Um, yes. We interviewed Doug Coletta, who is one of the most prolific top so fuel drivers.
1: I remember reading he is the most experienced top fuel driver in the world. Yes. Because he's just raced that many races
0: and he's got a lot of wins too and he's you know what's funny is if you saw him if you were at target pushing around a cart putting (laughs) your groceries in it and you saw doug also doing the same thing you would probably assume that he was he worked at a bank Sure, yeah. He's an can accountant see that. Or, a, or an insurance salesman or something like that. He's, he's very just, you know, nice, clean cut looking dude. Yep. Was, Super approachable. But you, I don't know where he hides his balls because you, <laughs> you can't see him. And uh, then we have uh, Richie Crampton, who is a, uh, also a top fuel driver. Yep. He uh, t- drives for DHL, also for Coletta. And then we also um, hooked up with, um, with Lucas Oil. Yeah, so I had some questions about about oil, and uh, because I just, I just what didn't understand these
1: things run for oil It's also it, just nuts.
0: It is so. Um, also, uh, anyway, let's, what do we got? Let's, give, let's go into our
1: sponsor. <laughs> yeah, let's take a quick break here to share our latest sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is your premier source for detailing compounds, pads, and polishes. Now, what happened was after 15 years of experience working with some of the largest brands in the industry, the engineers over at Oberk decided to make one simple, holistic system for themselves that really takes the guesswork out of paint correction. And I've mentioned before, I am in no means a detailer by any sort, and I really found their system and their setup to be super straightforward. Whether you're working on an old Corvette or a brand new Porsche, all of Oberk products are developed to work with any and all paint types. So be sure to check those guys out at oberkcarcare.com and use the exclusive code OVERCREST to get 15% off any order over 35 bucks, And they'll even toss in one of their famous Eagle Edgeless Towels for any Overcrest fan.
0: So I got my towels in the mail. You did? I did. I apparently, they heard me complaining. I don't have any towels. <laughs> so I got the towels, and I got, I got the polish, and I got some pads. Oh, you did? I did. So I haven't tried anything yet. I'm, I haven't washed my car since a very long time. Okay. I, I generally don't enjoy washing cars. So I have not washed my car in forever, but I will probably wash it probably by mid-September. <laughs> Is for, uh, for <laughs> Checked It Out, which is 9-14, uh, so I'll probably wash it before then. The <laughs> okay. then I'll wash it. Um, but we'll try that stuff out then. Yeah, anyway. it's awesome. So we ended up going up there for two days. We went Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday are qualifying. Correct. So there's, the way that this works is there's two qualifying days, and there's, there's one race day. Yes. So 16 teams move on to what is basically a single elimination.
1: On Sunday race on day. On
0: Sunday race day. So you, you lose, you're out. Yes. And what I found interesting is as the Saturday evening rolled along, these guys were trying not to race their teammates.
1: Yes. Wasn't that crazy? Like, because, you could, yeah, you could so end up in the,
0: in the back bracket, yep. in the first bracket with your teammate and eliminate your teammate. And then right away. Right away. So there's a lot of kind of vying for position. And um, obviously, if you win, you get to choose which side of the track you want. And there's all kinds of different stuff like that as well. And I also, um, one of the things I found interesting is how they stage too. When they are staging the car, we'll get into all the the, <laughs> the nitty gritty, nitty gritty in a little bit. But um, so we ended up driving up there uh, Friday and Saturday. So we still qualifying. We didn't see Sunday. But we ended up parking on the track, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, you because drive Brainerd, into the of
1: course, is a road course, right? And, they and have, then they have the straight, which is twenty
0: five thousand people camping there that, that was weekend. Nuts, twenty five thousand. So there is cars everywhere. So we yeah. ended up parking on like turn four. We're just parked there next to the rumble strips, <laughs> which I thought I thought was really interesting. Yep. And we walked our way in and, and from the f- the first person I talked to, which was the guy with the parking guy with the mustache. Yes. Remember him with I the do. glasses I was, on? I do. We saw mustache him the second guy. day, too. Everybody was so nice. You're right. From the parking guy. To Coletta guys, well, I mean, we had a VIP pass, so I was honestly, you would expect them to be nice, right? If you're if you're part of the, the smaller crew, right? But, but even something... even the guys that didn't, we didn't know, yeah. Like the guys that did the drag Harleys and the guys that did everything else, everybody was so nice, and that was my almost my biggest takeaway was how friendly this event was, right? And it's, you can walk... I
1: think it's different than a lot of other either motorsports or sports in general, where there's so much going on. This seems like the entire atmosphere is just. Fun. It and was enjoyable, and there's
0: no better spectator sport for motorsports, I don't think, because you can walk up almost right to everything, and it's all right there. Exactly. The mechanics are working on the cars right there. It's um, all the teams are just, just there's like a little rope that just holds you off. And I, the only other thing that I can compare it to in terms of access mm-hmm. is vintage racing. Because right. in vintage racing, you kind of walk around the paddocks. So you don't have to pay $500 for a pit pass right. or any of that kind of stuff. You just wander around and talk to who you want to and but see what you want to see. But unlike
1: vintage race weekends, this is a pro-level competitive sport. Right. Like, this is a big
0: deal. Right. So we get there, we go, and we start watching. And these guys had been doing a couple runs, and the car was apart when we got there. So we didn't yeah. really get to see exactly how things worked when we got there. So we we ended up watching, going out there and watching them do a run. So we wander through with all the sponsors <laughs> through, you know, the the. The, the pit marshals, are. there's whistles everywhere. Right? You're just wandering around. It's just whistle, 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 whistle. Almost, yep. almost to the point of being desensitized to the whistle. To the point where you don't understand how, pe- how people aren't getting run over.
1: Right, because constantly. they have to bring their cars back from the drag strip to their pit right. every single time.
0: And two, and back to, and to the starting line. Right. So they so, have like a golf cart or a minivan.
1: Yeah, that pulls these dragsters. What was funny
0: is when the motorcycles were going around, there's a guy in a Harley next to his Harley dragster. And all he had was his foot on the other bike yes. and he was pushing him down the pits like on his heart just like pushing <laughs> that was you know that was one of the more grassroots things that we saw but anyway so we go out there and we don't really know what to expect we're just like okay i've never seen this before right i don't know what's going on we're sitting on the bleachers the cars uh fire up so they fire up on gasoline right they right?
1: start them on gasoline in Which order is to
0: it just to get them going right because right? the the nitro is so much you want to keep as i'm guessing you want to keep as little of that stuff on board as, as humanly <laughs> i think it's possible. hard
1: to start on on nitromethane.
0: well they said that it has less volumetric efficiency right or There's whatever it's technically
1: called. less energy per mass right to nitro so we're sitting on sitting on the bleachers
0: and i'm just like okay yeah well and <laughs> then they pull up and they start it up i'm like yeah that's really loud Sounds that's, awesome That sounds really that's as loud and then he does a burnout i'm like whoa that is really loud and when you know they do the burnout and you see the tires just expand yeah and they go to probably i don't know 35 percent bigger than they already were. Yep, yeah they,
1: just from the centrifugal force they
0: narrow up and and they go out and then i'm sitting there like i got there you watch the lights turn blue as yep. everybody gets staged up yep. and then it's yellow yellow green, green. and i <laughs> I felt like someone grabbed me, shoved me down on the bleachers, and dumped like twenty-five pound bowling balls on my chest.
1: So yes, it's it's one thing to say these are loud; these are ear-splittingly it, loud. It has nothing to it's do. It's not. With, it's
0: not noise.
1: It's not the noise. It's how it literally hits you. It's the shockwave. The it reverberates. You feel it, and you almost want to like curl up. Or I mean, it, you. Have if you're a not reaction. watching,
0: the the throttle response is instant. It's an instantaneous. Eighty-five hundred RPMs. That's where they redline at. Yo, yep. instant. It's boom. It's eighty-five hundred RPMs. Just like you heard on the intro. It's eighty-five hundred RPMs right now. It's like a gorilla grabbing you and jumping out of a ten-story building. <laughs> 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 and there's nothing you can do about and it. And The whole way
1: down is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's and so they're going three hundred and twenty-five. 20, yep, right around there. And running like, and they're doing a thousand feet. I think it's three point eight. 3.7, point whatever seconds. Yes, to go 1, yep. a thousand feet. I thought mi- it was
1: interesting. It's not an actual quarter mile. A quarter is 13, mile is thirteen hundred twenty feet, feet right. and they do a thousand feet just to kind of round it off. And I don't know if that's a safety thing as well, because in right. an extra three hundred twenty feet, you could probably get going quicker.
0: Right. So one thing, one question. You can... so then they come back into the pits, right? They do their run, yep, and then they get towed back into the pits, and they immediately. Start taking apart the engine. Yes. Now, everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows. Yeah, you've probably seen,
1: like, oh, yeah, they got to rebuild them every time.
0: But why? Because the cost. I kept asking. He kept asking. Jake kept asking, why? Why do you keep rebuilding these? Surely you can run them again. But then you look at the size of the the power or the size of the engine that's creating that much
1: power. And and how how much much power is it? 11,000 horsepower. Theoretically give, give or because take. <laughs> they there's literally no way this is another just mind-boggling thing. There's no way to measure that much power. There's no dyno on earth that could handle eleven thousand horsepower. So they basically just do the math and they say, well, in order to do the quarter in you know 3.2 seconds, whatever, it, it figures out to be somewhere around eleven thousand horsepower. Well, I figure that
0: they they can figure out their combustion chamber, they can figure out yep. their fuel amount of fuel used, they can figure out the volume of their combustion chamber, they can figure out their compression. And then they can figure out their RPM. And right. they can roughly guess what their horsepower is, which and it's is 11,000. roughly
1: 11,000 okay.
0: horsepower. So it, it, that, that kind of force is unbelievable. Unbe- it's unfathomable when you think of our cars that make 200 horsepower, 300 right. horsepower. Hey, you guy with your buddy with the GTR that makes 1,000 horsepower and is giggling as he races people on the interstate? Not even Not close. Not even close. And so what they have to do Everything has to be checked.
1: It's basically to inspect everything.
0: Yes. They have to look at every single thing. And while they're in there, they just they just replace everything that they exactly. can. They reuse the pistons. They reuse the rods, the crank. Um, they reuse the, the cylinder head, not always the valves. But no, they what w- they
1: do, though, is they swap heads. Yes. So they have one that's rebuilt, ready to go. And then they put the new one on and right. then rebuild the head that was just run. Right. So
0: they take the valve springs off. So they spray everything down with brake cleaner so it's perfectly clean. <laughs> we
1: smelled so much like brake cleaner and car <laughs> cleaner by the end of that. I like, can't believe these things aren't sponsored. As we were driving in, in your
0: car, cleaner. I was like, "Do you smell brake cleaner? Right now? <laughs> Do you smell brake cleaner?" So the heads come off, or the first thing to come off is the blower. Yes. Which has yeah. this big Kevlar blanket on it. Yes. And it's strapped down to the engine block and the cylinder heads and, and the intake manifold. we witnessed
1: why later on.
0: They blow up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the technical term they used?
0: No. What did they say?
1: They go, oh, that blower disconnected the track. <laughs> it disconnected. It
0: sure did. It disconnected. The blowers do disconnect. And he showed us a photo of... And so that's another reason why you have to be really, really careful and why they look at everything. Because when you have these kinds of forces going on, True. it's dangerous. Um, as you'll hear later, when one of these blows up, it can blow the entire rear of the car off. Yeah. And blow the rear wheels off the car. So they put these blankets around, these Kevlar blankets, just in case the blower explodes. What do you think that blower is spinning for RPM?
1: Well, if your crank is spinning at 8,500, I don't know. The pulleys didn't look that different. It was so smaller. It's, somewhere...
0: it's probably, I mean, they're probably 15,000 RPMs because they're 40 psi. No, 60 PSI. 60
1: PSI of boost is what they're 60 running.
0: 60 PSI. And it's uh, it's basically... What kind of t- a blower is that? Like a worm blower? What is that called?
1: Yeah, you're thinking a screw type or yes. uh, roots type, I think, is also what it's called.
0: And th- they rebuild that every time, too. Yes,
1: they do. They take out the actual screws and they put a new set of screws in the housing because the screws actually have little, um, what would you call it, like seals on them.
0: Right. It's almost like an apex seal for a rotary. Exactly. And they measure them. And th- there's so much thermal expansion with some of this stuff that they were saying that it's down to just... Thousandths of an an inch inch because if it gets too warm, the screws actually start interacting with the case of Mm -hmm. the supercharger and and that creates more heat and then you get this thermal runaway situation where more heat's causing more heat, causing more friction, causing more heat and then you're losing boost and you're losing power and then the blower's toast by the time you get (laughs) it back in, right? Right. So then you have to replace all these little seals and they had different types of seals. This was type of one goes here. This type of one goes there. Yep, and they're, they're a experimenting
1: with different, you know, compounds and stuff like that for it.
0: Yep. Some have like metal infused in the, in the actual plastic. It's just, it's, yep. it's crazy.
1: Yeah. And it, it, to your point, there was a guy, that was his job. That was site. it. So that's trailer. another
0: thing. Is each, it's, it's, it's a concert. It it really was like a concert. The crew chief is the conductor, Mm -hmm. and everyone else has a job. Just like a violinist plays the violin, a cellist plays the cello, the drummer boy plays the drummer. Drummer boy. (laughs) Drummer boy. So So when they pull up, two guys pull the blower off. They go and they set it down, and then one guy starts working on the blowers. Two other guys pull the cylinder heads off, and then those guys start to go work on the cylinder heads. Another guy pulls the the cover off the clutches, and he goes back and inspects the clutches. Another guy lays on the ground, takes the rod bearing, takes the oil pan off, pulls the rod bearings off, takes the rods out, takes the pistons out. Each guy has his own job, and it's the same. They do it the same way. Every time, it's all about repeatability and consistency. Exactly. All the tools are in the same place. All the parts go in the same place when you take them off, and then everything is exactly where it should be every single time. There's never a question. That place looked—if you went there at 2 p.m. or 5 p.m.—it looked the same, right. other than parts being because it was on or literally
1: off. down to a science. It the way they It is absolutely
0: down things. to an absolute science. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that they talked a lot about the magic, right? of this
1: <laughs> yeah so there's still some like mystery so you can have everything down but to before a science. we get i want to
0: talk about the mystery in a second before we do that um let's talk a little bit about Petrol box
1: yes Petrol box is a monthly subscription service specifically for the automotive enthusiasts each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, occasionally you get publications in there, and they send it all right to your doorstep. There are actually two levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. We just got our box sent to our studio, full of awesome stuff, as with that, always, So be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code overcrest at checkout to get $6 off your first month.
0: Okay. So before we get into the magic, I want to hold that over for a second. I want to talk a little bit about the Colettas. Yes. And I want to play our interview with Doug Coletta, who is Connie Coletta's nephew. Right. And interesting family. Okay, so Connie Coletta, as we talked about last week, is an absolute legend. And we heard lots of stories we about did. Connie Coletta. And it's he likes what what does he like, Jake?
1: He likes airplanes, fast cars, and fast women. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is how it was described to That's me. That's what the uh, and what's really interesting PR about him guy told us. is he is in a van at the track, yes. at the starting line, every time for his team.
1: Well, he still runs the team.
0: He's the crew chief over there. He's the crew it's chief. nuts,
1: and he's eighty-one years old.
0: Eighty-one years old, still going, and he, I mean, absolute legend. And ever, we came to the conclusion that they don't come out of the womb like that anymore. It's a very <laughs> special, special type of man. There yeah. was a movie about him back in the day called uh, "Heart Like a Wheel." Heart like a wheel. Okay. And in this movie, he he pulls up to the. Uh, or in this movie, he's basically. Uh, his girlfriend or wife or whatever it is was his
1: wife at the time for whatever reason had to go to the hospital because she
0: got burnt she got an accident she got burned okay so she had to go to the hospital and um she's looking out the window there's a
1: scene in the movie we haven't seen it yet there's a scene in the movie where she's described as kind of looking out the window and she sees connie pull up in a convertible with another girl yeah coming <laughs> to the hospital and so the pr rep he, he's telling us the story he goes so i talked to connie and i go connie is that is that true did that really happen kind of goes no no i didn't do that there was two
2: girls in the car (laughs) (laughs) which is just just like wow
0: so he started out the way that it started out for him is is um correct me if i'm wrong you heard the story as well is he was doing he was racing yep and he was had his pilot's license and he would fly to the track from detroit right and ford racing division said hey why don't you take some of these parts with you yeah they needed to have they they needed needed some transport something and that is how coletta airlines was basically formed coletta air yeah, yeah so coletta they air. basically
1: are like a freight company yep that does a lot of work with dhl
0: and he has some i mean really really good relationships he's a he's a very very prolific guy i mean during nine eleven, yeah it, he was the only plane in the air besides the f-18 besides the the air force they
1: needed to bring supplies down to pennsylvania or something yeah it, it was, was
0: it, it was it was wild so um Onto uh, onto Doug, and we already talked about him being, you know, kind of a legend in his own right. I yep. want to play an interview that we did with him, which was, you know, what was really interesting is when we got there, Bob, who <laughs> was our, which was our contact with Coletta, was like, oh, yeah, we'll get you to talk to somebody, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, great. I'd really like to interview some people. And then maybe three minutes later, Doug came over and he yeah. said, hey, guys. Hey, how's, hey it? how's it going? Hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. But just, we talked about Brainerd Raceway a little bit. I said, do you mind doing an interview with us while you're here? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem little did I know that he didn't know who we were yet.
1: No, we didn't get an introduction. So he just thought just, we were some guys, but it
0: just goes just... back to how nice everybody is. All right. Exactly. So here's our interview with Doug Coletta.
3: You know, when I was growing up with my dad, he had those, uh, these road racing sidecar, like the Isle of man type. And, uh, yeah. uh, those things, you know, they were just incredibly fast. And, and so I would kick around all these different places like road America, mid Ohio. And, um, he just kind of went mostly around the Michigan area and Ohio or whatnot. <laughs> sure. But, uh, but I rode on that thing a couple times, and that was the wildest thing going. Um, you know, you're over there in that sidecar. You don't have no control over anything. And I only lasted maybe once or twice trying that thing. And then after that, I'm like, you know, I need, I need, a, like, a solo bike. So I ended up getting a 250 Yamaha or oh, whatever. Really? And so I started road racing, uh, you know, when he was running. But, but I grew up racing motorcycles. It's kind of what I, what I did. So how do you
1: make the bike from jump jump? Sure. The jump from bikes to this. Yeah, how do you get here? Yeah. I mean, where,
0: where did you come from before here, I guess? Yeah,
3: day? so through the whole time, I mean, this is my uncle, uh, my, Connie Coletta. He's, he's been at this 60 years this year. So throughout this whole thing of growing up, doing whatever I was doing with my dad, Connie's out here drag racing. So, um, you know, and there was really never, a, you know, between Connie and, and his son, Scott, I mean, it was all they could do to keep two cars running. There was not a third car available, so. So I ran um, you know, go-karts, and, and then I ran uh, these midgets and sprint cars, so I did that. Uh, and I also worked on this car, Connie's dragster, for about 10 years. So, uh, yeah, but before I got in a top-fuel car, I, I was driving sprint cars and midgets uh, with the USAC sprint car uh, series back in Indiana. Do you remember
0: uh, your first time getting into a top-fuel car, what it was like? The first time you took a pass? Yeah,
3: the one thing I remember the most is I hadn't been around the drag race for like 10 years and i had gone to a couple tracks and and the seat opens up and i'm like oh yeah i'm i'm in you know so i go to the last race standing on the starting line and i think it's scarier on the starting line standing right behind the car than it is actually in it so uh i mean just louder <laughs> i'm like what in the hell have i gotten myself into here but, but no i had uh, ed mccullough i don't know if you know uh, ed mccullough but he's a A legend out here in the drag races. so he's my crew chief um had a great team you know my cousin had just got out of this car and you know they um so you know i was i started out um tucson phoenix just testing but the first time i got in it you know you're not sure exactly what to expect because i drove an alcohol dragster for like one day at this school deal at frank holly school which is a highly recommend for anybody that wants to try one of these things but so it's pretty pretty natural for you know if you get in a top fuel car you're not sure what this thing's gonna do to hit the gas and then take your foot off i mean it's it's just an instinct <laughs> cause you just don't know what to expect and i was I'm, i guess i'm normal because i i did that exactly yeah. so um but after that i'm like you know we're we're good to Put go here it. so yeah. after that we were wow. good to go So but when you
0: when a lot of people do things that make the adrenaline pump things slow down in their mind a little bit even though for us it's over in three or four seconds is it a little bit longer when you're in the car, or is it just over in a flash?
3: It's, you know, you're, you're obviously trying to, you know, get that wind light. There's a wind light down at the end of the track that, as a driver, you can see. So, uh, um, but yeah, or in qualifying, just trying to get a good time. But uh, driving a thing, I mean, it is really, it's over before you know it, really.
0: So, if you had to describe what it's like to actually drive the car to someone that will never drive one or hasn't driven one. What is it like to actually hit the gas, steer the car, everything else? Is it pretty wild or is it kind of just drive itself down?
3: Now, it, it um, you know, the acceleration is the thing that gets you because you're just like shot out of a cannon, really. So, uh, you know, and that was the biggest thing that I had to try to figure out when I started driving this thing because it's just accelerating. So you got to make sure you line it up straight. It's probably one of the more important <laughs> things to do because this thing's got the front end up. So you know, and it's not rocket science. Just get that thing lined up straight. So you get it lined up, and um, and then it it usually stays pretty straight. um, But it's really important to stay in the groove, you know, and and not oversteer it. What does that mean? You know, as as the cars continue to run, you know, the first qualifying session, uh, there's not a lot of rubber out there. But as the weekend goes on, you know, there's a rubber groove in the middle of the lane, where you can kind of see it out there or whatever, but. You want to keep the car in the groove of where everybody's been running, where the most rubber is, kind of down traction. on the track yeah, for traction. So, you know, and then not oversteering it. The, the dragster, because of the length of the car, you don't really have a lot of input. It's sort of like you're you almost breathing the thing just a little bit back and forth. Where the funny car is an altogether different deal with the. Uh, the way the, the shorter wheelbase and the exhaust is very, very long, you know, much longer, so it drives the car around a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the funny car, you're driving the heck out of it. So um, it's just, just the different characteristics of these two cars, but they have the same engine, 11,000 horsepower, <laughs> and um, you know you're getting to the finish line at 330. So it, uh, you want to hang on to that thing. So
1: I've always wondered when you see the light turn green, it's not just throttle at 100 percent. Is it? Or do you have to kind of modulate the throttle so you don't get too much wheel spin?
3: Yeah, it's, you know, with the staging, the top light, you know, the other guy's ready, you're ready, then you roll into the second one. At that point, you take your foot off the clutch, you're holding the car with the brake. So you're off the clutch, you're holding the brake, and then the sequence of yellow lights with the pro tree. when the first top yellow light comes on, that's the light you're looking at. And as soon as you even think that thing's coming on it's you, you leave on that light really? and then you go straight to the floor Wow! and the way the centrifugal clutch um, um, is set up is you know the thing is it starts a sequence for uh, the clutch activation and it slowly brings this I got you. it's like throw so out bearing getting, thing uh,
1: because I imagine 11,000 horsepower right off the bat you just sit there and spin your tires I need break everything I'm yeah I mean it, <laughs> it you
3: would just smoke the tires like you said so right. you need to let that the clutch slip and that's, uh, you know, that's the art of tuning these things yeah. is the motor and then, the, you know, setting the clutch up with the different levers and there's just, it's a mad science. And then those clutch discs, you know, those carbon clutch discs, you know, you try to Rockwell test them to try to get the right pack, you know, with the hardness and, it's an art. It really is. So it, uh, you the setup know, it's, of the car is really important. It is incredibly important. So when you
0: get off the track and you come back, you tell these guys, hey, I need a little bit more of this. What are some of the adjustments that you guys make in between the races on the car based on what you tell them?
3: Yeah, I have to admit, um, all of the data that we have for the clutch, the motor, uh, the fuel system, you know, if any of the cylinders quit running, we can monitor all of that information uh, with, a, with our computer that we have on the car. So. Uh, the drive shaft, you know, if it smokes a tire you can see where the drive shaft, you know, smoke, you know lost traction. So there's a lot of data there. So the uh, um, main thing, you know, driving the thing, you know, it was a good reaction time, just being very consistent with the, the procedure that we do to burn out, to even warming it up in the pits here, keeping it in a groove, um, you know, and then just the reaction times. When, the, when these, everybody is running equal you can actually have a little slower car and win on a, a reaction time. So it's uh, those are the kind of um, things that we're doing out here. So do you do to
1: practice your reaction time at home? I do. Lights and yeah, no, you,
3: <laughs> yeah. you, know, you certainly uh, don't want to. I've got a deal at our shop, you know, when it's a cage and a full-size tree. and You, know, you don't want to wear it out, but, you know, you just kind of get in the, the groove. That, uh, so how are
0: things different now than when your dad was doing that? Back in the day. What is the biggest difference between the
3: two? Connie's my uncle, and then my oh, dad were brothers, sorry. but uh, you know, and again, 60 years. Uh, so I was around when in the 80s. So uh, um, prior to that, I mean, you know, it wasn't even an organized effort really with the NHRA. So he started right at the beginning of this thing, but um, you know, there's always a weak link with these cars. <laughs> you know, it's always like the crankshafts. I mean, that seems to be kind of the issue going on now but uh you know just the horsepower the downforce and the technology of the clutch really is uh really the technology of about everything on this thing is uh just it continues to evolve and uh you know and that's the that's what keeps you know him out here doing what he's doing he's over he's 81 he's over there tuning richie crampton stop fuel old car i mean he stays on top of kind of what's going on and he enjoys doing it and, wow. You know it's a, it's a challenge for him so uh, he's, he's definitely um, you know one of these guys that just has a, a love for this sport and uh, you know it's infectious really with uh, really all four of our teams you know and in the effort that we've built you know with having uh, you know what we have out here with the uh, yeah, it's amazing so it's with been the, fun
0: with the safety and everything obviously the cars have gotten a lot safer too right I mean over the years I mean you guys you're in a little cocoon now. Yeah, things can still go wrong, right? What what typically fails, or what can go wrong that can be dangerous on these cars while you're out there?
3: Yeah, the uh, you know the front wing and the down the front and the back wing on these things. Um, it's just critical that you know you don't have anything happen to either one of them. So you, that's one of the things I just kind of walk around a car, and make sure it's, everything is always bolted on right with those things. Because you know if the front wing comes off the thing will flip over, the back wing comes off, you'll abs- you just lose control, you'll spin out. And really the technology of Goodyear tires is, uh, we're very fortunate right now, you know, we're on we're a, a kind of a, a pattern here that they've got a great tire, knock on wood. But, you know, if you, obviously if you had, like, the cord come off, you know, it takes the back wing out, you know, kind of those type of situations is usually bad. Do
0: you feel fear anymore when you get out there? When you get in the car and you see that tree, do you feel any kind of fear?
3: You know, it's really, it's all about just trying to win for me. It's um, and, uh, I think if you, if you start feeling fear, you better get out of this thing. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay.
0: That was, it was awesome to be able to talk to a legend like that absolutely so um back to the magic right
1: <laughs> yes so they rebuild these engines after every race after the abuse of 11,000 horsepower to make sure everything's in spec and it really goes down to the fact that if you don't rebuild them there's so much of a risk of it not working. Basically, the risk is just too great not to rebuild the engine because, what, much because we found line. out
0: how much it costs per run. If you include getting there, all the mechanics, the fuel, the car, everything else, yep, it's eight to ten thousand dollars every in less than four seconds. You spend eight to ten thousand dollars,
1: which is just nuts.
0: It's crazy.
1: So. Yeah, we, we go to talk and, okay, if everything's down to a science and you're measuring everything in thousandths of an inch and everything really is, you know, a, a formula, right? Then, it
0: should, then if you think about it, then it should all be down to the driver. That's the right. only variable that's left, but that's not true. We no, found out. he
1: goes, there's some of it that's still... Kind of the magic or the luck or whatever you want to call it, where for whatever reason they can measure, for instance, these rotors in the blower, they can measure them and spec them out. They're identical, same you know metallurgy and materials and everything else. But for whatever reason, some will run slightly better. Or the clutch discs that they have, they'll run a set of clutch discs And so for some why reason. Why don't we explain
0: how the clutches work first? Okay, so they're pneumatic.
1: Here's and what's six crazy: of them. there is no transmission to these cars. No. You are making 11,000 horsepower you do not at five hundred <laughs> RPM. You do not need so, gear reduction. So you all you're doing, it's basically direct drive. They yep. don't shift. They don't change gear ratio at all. They're basically slipping the clutch until, what is it, two-thirds of the way down the track when it fully locks. I don't think
0: it was quite that far, but you basically have progressive, a progressive clutch system. So you have yes. the six clutches lined up, and they're pneumatic. Right. And as you drive, they start to engage. One will engage and the others will engage. And then they're they'll basically slip down limiting the
1: wing. your amount of slip until they right. fully drive. Because all if, you,
0: if you just had direct drive and you hit the throttle or opened up the fuel or whatever, it would do just out. It would break everything and do a burnout. So they, <laughs> so they have to have. So one thing that they told us is some of those clutches are better than others.
1: And it's, wait, how does that work? We don't know. It's, they're, they're it's made great. the same they're measured out the same there's just some mystery or luck or something where some of these discs are better so what they do they run them for one run The driver will say that was great some, no some, the
0: computer says that you're was right
1: because the driver yeah. isn't going to tell hundredths yeah. of a second right the computer for whatever reason tells them they they engaged because they're monitoring well. everything there's so many sensors if you on look in cars. front of the
0: steering wheel and you could see like all the sensors and computers i have and a photo of It is wild how much technology there is packed into these things.
1: So what they'll do then is they'll save these clutch discs until later in the year when they really need... You know, part of me wondered, is there really that much of an advantage because of those? Or is it part of it psychological, the driver saying, okay, now I got my best clutches with me for this last little shootout or whatever it is,
0: you know? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure.
1: But yeah, that's where, to your point, some of the magic is still there.
0: So Richie Crampton uh, talks about that a little bit in his interview with me now he's the driver for the dhl top fuel car right um let's roll our interview with him and get through uh
2: i'm richie crampton driver of the dhl toyota top fuel dragster at coletta motorsports so how did you get
0: started with top fuel how did you get your driver position
2: so i'm one of the few people that uh kind of made the jump from crew member to driver um so i'm uh it's, it's rare in motorsports, uh, but it has been done before here in the NHRA. People like Robert Hight, Eric Medlin, even J.R. Todd uh, worked on the race cars before they got to drive them. But uh, but yeah, my story is uh, basically I was a clutch guy for 10 years uh, for Morgan Lucas, um, and I guess I kind of ended up wearing him down to the point where he uh, <laughs> gave me the opportunity to, to get in the race car at a test session. and. Liked what he saw, and and then uh, when he decided to retire, I got to basically take the keys.
0: Do you remember the first time you got into one of these cars? It must have been wild.
2: Yeah, it was. You know, um, it's something I wanted to do my entire life, but I didn't know if I belonged doing it. You know, and uh, until you've done it and experienced it, um, there's nothing that can really prepare you for it. So for me it was definitely a case of uh be careful what you wish for because you just might get it and uh it's pretty intimidating the first time you climb into a 11,000 horsepower machine like that and stand on the gas pedal but um i love it uh, you know and i'm uh, very lucky to do what i do
0: and it wasn't just given to you you had to prove it right
2: yeah no we had some good early results uh, i won my ninth race that i ever attended and then uh went on to be Rookie of the Year and and also won the biggest drag race of the year at the U.S. Nationals in Indianapolis that season, so um, yeah, worked out good for me, but of course I had a great team behind me as well. The reality is, you got to get in this 11,000 horsepower missile and uh, stand on the throttle, and there's not much that can prepare you for that, but luckily I uh, survived to tell the tale. What was the fastest thing you'd driven up to that point? Yeah, I'd been fortunate enough to drive an A fuel car once or twice, which ran you know, 5.2 seconds at about 270 miles an hour, which is a, a really fast, fun race car to drive as well, but um, nothing, uh, you know, nothing can really prepare you for what it's like for, uh, you know, a top fuel dragster. So, you know, it's six Gs of acceleration, 100 miles an hour in about one second, and then, uh, you know, negative four Gs when the parachutes come out at the other end. So it's uh, it's a lot that your body goes through. It's very blurry, very hard to see. Um, And I think over time your body kind of gets acclimated to that stuff, but the first time you go down there, it just all happens real quick.
0: Right. So, what would happen if I got into that car and tried to drive that car? Is there any way (laughs) I could get down the track, would I make it?
2: I like to think you would, for sure. I like to think everyone would, uh, but um, you know, for me, I, I didn't have a ton of experience with 300 mile an hour race cars, but I'd been around them long enough, uh, and I think that's the key to it. That if anyone ever wanted to do, uh, you know, what we do out here, it's just uh, you got to be around it and see the good with the bad, and, and what can go wrong, and how to how to deal with it, you know, and, and envision yourself in the driver's seat. That's kind of what I always did, and I think that helped me a lot.
0: So, what kind of things can go wrong?
2: Well, I mean, these cars are covering football fields in seconds. So, you know, from from you know the the obvious things like driving it into the wall or across the center line into uh, the other competitor's lane, and 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 all of those things. Um, you know, we can have catastrophic engine failures, which can blow the rear tires off the car, and uh, we've literally seen dragsters break in half and fly through the sky. So, uh, I hate to think of all the bad stuff that can go wrong because there's a million ways. You know, I don't think. Uh, I don't think as humans we're meant to go 320 miles an hour every weekend.
0: So when you get out there, do you have any fear, or is it just pure focus at that point?
2: No, you know it's funny because we get to we get to drive these race cars down the drag strip, you know on average 150 to 170 times a year, and you kind of get complacent and you kind of forget that uh, you know basically what you're doing is is pretty extreme, and then something will jump up and remind you every now and then that uh, things can go wrong, and and kind of it kind of puts you back. Uh, you know, it keeps you on your toes again for a little while. So, you know, I've lost a front tire at 300. Um, uh, fortunately for me, you know, it broke the front wing, but the front wing um, stayed on the car, which is a big, uh, a big bonus because if the front wing would have would have come off, you know, the, the rear wing kind of acts as a big cantilever, and we've seen cars flip over backwards in that uh, in that kind of you know setup. But um, no, it, it, everything for me has been pretty straightforward, and uh, I hopefully, I can keep it that way.
0: So tell us a little bit about the engine in your top fuel car.
2: So we have a 500 cubic inch maximum displacement rule with top fuel. And uh, basically, the engine is a billet version of a 426 Hemi from you know the 1960s uh, era. They've just kind of um, you know changed a lot of stuff, uh, uh, the weak links, I guess, over the years. And um, so they're not water-cooled at all. Uh, they're supercharged, you know, there's a 1471 blower on them that makes about 50 pounds of boost. Um, we have two magnetos that, are, you know, the ignition system has to burn uh, fuel at the rate of about 80 something gallons per minute um, when the engine is at full noise. So that's how we make the big horsepower with these cars, it's just sheerly being able to burn a, a huge volume of fuel like that. So um, there's uh, six clutch plates uh, within the clutch pack. And, and that clutch application is uh, kind of what's critical to putting that 11,000 horsepower to the rear tires in a, in a smooth fashion to uh, maintain traction down the drag strip.
0: So, you guys, I was hearing that when you guys get a good clutch setup you kind of put it in your back pocket
2: for when you really, really need it. Is
0: that, do, you, do you ever get frustrated like, ah, I wish I had the good clutch setup. <laughs> I don't have the good clutch setup, there's something out there. Do you ever wish you had the good one?
2: Yeah, you know, we, we all kind of uh, you know we test pre-season and then we race and then uh we kind of get to a point where we know what clutch discs we prefer uh keep in mind there's six discs and uh you know that every clutch disc has its own kind of personality if you will so a lot of crew chiefs out here will kind of test and find a combo that they like and uh, basically put that to the side and save it for our countdown which is the last six races of the season um so you know that's when you really need to win rounds and win races to contend for the championship when we go into our playoff uh... kind of format for the last six so we'll hoard all the good stuff that we like for the for the tail end of the year and uh... just kinda do some different stuff because uh, we'll see cool racetracks to really hot racetracks during the middle of the summer and here we are a perfect situation where we've had warm days during qualifying and now we're gonna have uh... probably almost as equal to national record type racetrack surface tomorrow so um yeah it's that's where the crew chiefs earn their money
0: that's where the magic comes in right
2: exactly
0: what's the difference between regular gasoline and the nitro that you guys run in these cars
2: yeah so i guess um you know uh, on the technical side of it uh gasoline holds more energy per gallon than nitro methane does but from what i understand keep in mind i'm just a driver but uh <laughs> nitro methane basically creates its own oxygen as it's burned and uh you know, that's, that's how we're able to, um, you know, make the big horsepower is burning oxygen and and a huge volume of fuel with it. So, um, we, we do start the gas uh, the, the race car on gasoline initially, and then we switch it on to nitro uh, once it's once it's running on gasoline. And then, uh, but yeah, nitro is just uh, the coolest thing ever, I think. Do you ever feel like you're just driving
0: around in slow motion when you're on public roads?
2: <laughs> I, I mean, kind of, but, uh, but you know... I think uh, talking for myself, of course, I, I definitely get my fair share of uh, going fast and, and, and standing on the gas when the light goes green. Uh, so for me, it's just uh, take it easy on the road, kind of, without taking the high road here. That's, that's truly, you're, I'm probably the guy you're beeping at to get out of the way.
0: Where you're from in Australia, it's harder to be an enthusiast. You get caught doing a burnout, you're in big trouble, you can't modify your car. Does racing feel bigger there than it does here, or is it about the same?
2: Yeah, I believe so. I mean, you know, uh, percentage wise by population, I bet that uh, it's equally as popular in Australia as it is here in the U.S. Um, but yeah, growing up, uh, as you said, man, having a modified car on the road in Australia, is it's really tough because the police will get you and, and uh, you know, give you a fine or, or sometimes even worse. But um, that's why I love it over here. You know, they, I guess they kind of give you enough rope to hang yourself you can drive whatever you want on the road it seems like just as long as you do the right thing with it so uh that's uh that's kind of cool because you know one of the other things i do during the the year is drag week hot rod magazine drag week it's uh basically um almost like a rally where you have to drive your race car from track to track and it's uh sometimes as much as 1400 miles round trip uh going to the five racetracks on on drag week and last year i did it with a rusty 1957 chevy with a blown alcohol hemmy in it so uh definitely shouldn't be able to get away without on the road well rust is just weight reduction <laughs> yeah right? well in, in that case you're looking good because there's plenty of rust but uh that thing leaves a brown cloud on the starting light every time you dump the clutch hey man i really
0: appreciate your time all right buddy thank you, thank it's, you. it's been a great weekend thank you all right thank you all right buddy richie is awesome he is, is a really cool guy. He was really nice. And uh he, he actually spent quite a bit of time with us because we walked around with him in the in the paddock. Yep. I'm sorry, in the actual under the tent where the car is and he was mm-hmm. walking us through. That's kind of how we, you know, picked up and absorbed a bunch of this knowledge. Um it's it was a really emotional experience, I think, when it comes down to it. As I was looking back on it as we were driving home in the car, is I was just thinking about wow, all of those guys working. I mean, there's how many employees plus they have they have back in detroit they've got 20 million cnc machines yeah. making all this stuff <laughs> these heads are billet heads they're making their own heads they're making their own engine blocks yep everything's Everything. bespoke custom and... and it's all for 4 seconds or right.
1: less and you know the guys told us it's a lifestyle because you realize too they're traveling every weekend going ten, to one of these races
0: 10 months out of the year they're on the road right 10 months
1: and so you talk about having passion for something. That's all these guys have. You know, sure they're getting paid for it, but in order to be away from your family and to be traveling that much for this, it just goes to show how much passion there is in this sport.
0: Right, and uh, so and it I, shows. It it absolutely does. And before we, you know, kind of cap things off a little bit, I do want to just talk about the thing that confused me most, and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that we got to talk to uh, talk to Lucas Oil about this because I was thinking. Okay, you've got a car that's cold mm-hmm. and you're dragging it up to the starting line and going, ah, with it. And it's just, how is that? Yeah, they're We're not s-
1: sitting there warming it up for a no, while, getting it to up. operating temp. So
0: we talked to Lucas Oil a little bit. I want to play our interview with them so they can explain what it takes to have oil in one of these cars.
4: My name's Tom Bogner. You're with Lucas Oil. I'm with Lucas Oil. I'm the director of motorsports. Right on. What do you uh, what does Lucas Oil do for the NHRA? You know what? We're in every class. So if you look at motorcycle class up onto the top fuel cars that are behind me, we have we have somebody in every category. And each engine takes a different type of oil. So it it can be a challenge to stay up with the technology that all these teams stay on. So that's one reason I'm out here this weekend. I'm working with Paul Lee and McLeod Clutches.
0: Right on. So how is the oil that you guys are running in some of these wild cars different than what we have on the street?
4: Much much thicker for one. What, what's and the what's the weight? 70 weight. 70. So it's a straight 70. Straight 70 weight oil. Which if you put it in, like I drive a Tundra that calls for a 020 or a 520. Yeah. yeah. If you were to put that in your car up here in Minnesota in wintertime, <laughs> it wouldn't even turn over.
0: Yeah, it's like honey.
4: It's like honey. It's <laughs> probably thicker than honey.
0: So it's like, is it almost like a gear oil? Because zero gear oil is like 7590, right? It's, so it's it-
4: it's even heavier than a gear oil. Okay. It's heavier than a 7590. Um it's approximately forty to forty-four centistokes at a hundred. What's a centistoke? I don't know so what that is. We use that for measuring oil. So when you the look viscosity? the viscosity range. So when you look at your car and it says zero twenty, yep. you're measuring the zero weight at cold temperature and the and the higher weight, thirty weight twenty at operating temperature because you need the pumpability of the oil in the car, especially if you live in this part of the country where it's cold. I'm from California so I can get away with you know, an oil in my Tundra that calls for 0, 25, 20, I could get away with a, probably a 1040 in that car. Right. Because I don't have the issues of being able to move that fluid when it's cold.
1: So speaking of moving the fluid, if you're running a 70 weight that's super thick, does that affect like the oil pressure in these cars? Like a top-fueled car, what kind of PSI is oil pressure? They're
4: running over 100 PSI. And they really do look at volume. They have a high volume. And then you also have, a funny car has a dry sump oiling system. Yep. Which is much different than the dragster having a wet sump. Now in, in standard, like if, if I were to look at, I drive a, a Mustang, uh, 2017, it's almost 1,000 horsepower streetcar. I would love to have dry sump on that engine. Yeah. It's wet sump. Right. It's different because I, I, I don't want it slopping around in there, but on an alcohol dragster with a wet sump, you have that oil flinging around in that crankcase, and it actually helps because it gets up into Remember, the cylinder a little bit. You have more oil on the cylinder. They're only running for three seconds, right. so, you know, 3. So the
0: crankshaft's throwing it up into the skirt of the piston, exactly. basically. Exactly, and it
4: actually helps. You're actually able to, they're, you know, they're running a short period of time, but right. you are actually get a little cooling effect, and yeah. you're not worried about the windage in was, a three-second run, because really. you've got so much cylinder pressure from the nitro and the compression, that, that little loss. bit of it's windage true. loss is not going to
0: happen. If you're running 100 psi, these things don't have a lot of time to warm up. Right. So how are you able to achieve peak lubricity with an oil that's essentially
4: warm? It's, it's difficult because oils in general work better with oil temperature.
0: Right. You know, that's why everybody's like, hey, let, wait for your car to warm up before you beat on it. Right. But these so, guys don't wait for their car to warm up. <laughs> They just fucking go.
4: Yeah, and we can use really high-pressure additives that activate cold. Uh We can use like a different zinc and phosphorus package, ZDDP, that will activate both cold and hot. So, you know, and you have to learn that from being out here. And I I will go over and look at parts after Paul Lee makes a run. Looking at water. and look at where. Right now, like our parts are beautiful in a car, but we'll still scuff occasionally a couple of cylinders, but the cylinder next to it's perfect. So you can't really say it's the oil. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? But the valve train, the bearings are beautiful. Uh-huh. But the tune-up, and it could be deflection in a cylinder, maybe one cylinder's a little bit off. Yeah. Even though they change a the sleeve, it's not like we're miking everything like we do in, in a shop when we build an engine. Right. We get we hone them. We get everything perfect. These guys come in with a hone, real quick. Boom, boom, boom three each cylinder. Slap a piston back in it. Right. And they're gonna be a little variance, right? Sure. So. Wow.
0: Fascinating. It, well, cool, man. That's that's great. I I, I appreciate your time, and it, that's yeah. one of the things I've been really wondering about is how the oil works <laughs> in these cars.
4: Yeah, and it, and the fuels. You know, in a fuel car, you're also running a lot of fuel pressure, a lot of volume. So it it tends to milk the cylinder down, which you start to lose oil pressure. So that's why they're worried about having a lot of pressure. So that if they get a, a, a cylinder out, that it doesn't just blow, tear up the whole engine.
1: Last question, with these top fuel cars, they're rebuilding them after every every run. run. What do they do with all this oil? It's only been in the car for three seconds of running.
4: They It's waste oil at that time, huh. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and
4: some of the alcohol funny cars and dragsters are able to run the oil twice. Okay. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of like, if you're gonna dilute it, you probably should just change it. 100%. You know, when you're looking at a $70,000 engine versus a (laughs) a $90 oil change.
0: Yeah, right. Right. So what's this oil cost a quart, this special oil?
4: Um, The Dragster oil is, really it's conventional, ours, Lucas, it's about $8 a quart. It's not bad. It's not bad. So we're
0: Porsche air cool guys, so we run like a 1550 or a 1060. Sure. You guys offer anything like that?
4: We do, we make actually a, a, a 5W50, that I would probably recommend. Some of the Porsches come with 540s even I've seen, but with track days, we make a 550 that we develop for like our cobra jet program and our boss 302 and our GT 500s yep. and it, you can run it in a polaris i mean it's very <laughs> universal like it, it has a what we call a di package which is what really makes oil work the additive package yeah that we get from lubrizol and then we use a base oil to get it into the 550 range so that it oils really well and i run that 550 in. Uh, Odie, I use it in in our drift team. So all of the Falken tire cars, sure. Justin Pollock with the Roush Mustang, okay. Um, Papadakis Racing, Odie Bacchus, uh, Matt Field Corvette, You're all, just, is all that like 550. This,
0: add zinc back into those oils, then. We put. Every, everybody's like, oh, with the old air cooled stuff, Porsche. Oh, you got the tappets. You got to have the zinc right. in there. Is we, that true or
4: is that? It, you still need it. We use in the 5W50. We use a higher than API, so it's about approximately 1,400 parts per minute of zinc and phosphorus. The, the phosphorus and zinc are a little bit different. They're the same number. The zinc number is what everybody looks at, yeah. but when you're starting to push cars on the track, and even though they're VVT or they, they're solid roller cams, they we have more cylinder, or we have more valve spring pressures and things like that, and temperature. So the little bit extra zinc really seemed to help. And, and I pushed my Mustang to, 1,000 horsepower. Well, 978 to the wheels right now. Bone stock 5 Coyote. Wow. and 26 PS5. <laughs> it's
0: PSI. not fair, man. I'll, <laughs> the cost per horsepower on an old air-cooled Porsche is crazy. You guys are so lucky.
4: Yeah, the only <laughs> problem was I... I, we, we, I did this as a group with JBA Performance and Kenny Bell Superchargers. Yep. And so it's our project car. Yep. The oil's never failed us, but the head gaskets failed us. The first time <laughs> we hit 26 PSI, I blew the head gaskets.
0: Wow. Well, you guys are going to have to start making head gaskets then. So,
4: well, we were, <laughs> we were just trying to prove that we could bolt on yeah. and make a thousand. So the, we made a, we made 978 at 24 pounds of boost with bone stock the motor that came in my car we didn't touch the oil pump gear we didn't touch anything just bolt-ons made 978 then we put the next size pulley on and went to 26 and a half blew the head gasket pulled the heads off in the car which on a four valve is a pain in the butt Um, put it back together with arp studs factory gasket tried 26 and a half again and the ring said fuck you i'm done and that's it <laughs> and well you found the limit then that's
3: good right so you now, where you be.
4: and now i could tell people like don't you know everybody wants to have as much power as they can have yeah. but like on a on a coyote i tell them don't go over 18 psi i run e85 Sure. sure. it runs cooler i'm not going to detonate it i could run my car at 830 horsepower to the wheels all day long with that combination but we spent a lot of money to do the fuel system you know we didn't just throw some e85 in it and try right. to make 800 right and lean it out well and there's a lot of
0: dyno time there and everything else yeah
4: so. yeah i've got a lot of runs of my car so we're gonna we're gonna put a illuminator back in it now and get it back running and so i can start driving it again good awesome. luck man yeah hey
0: thanks for your time i really appreciate it. that <laughs> hey, was thank, great thank, thank you guys for coming yeah, by yeah, take care, care. yeah take care. all right jake so would you go again
1: I would, I would. Here's what you know. What I want, you know, what
0: I want to do is, I want to bring other people. I was
1: just gonna say that the magic of this is bringing someone else and being and saying, just wait, get ready for it. Get ready for it. Because that's what's so cool. Watching your face and you watching me and we just look at each other like, holy crap, what did we just witness? And here's the thing: is it's not. Of course,
0: it's shocking, and the emotions are you. You taste it, you smell it, it's in your eyes, you feel it. Um, Like I said, it's like a gorilla grabbing you. That does wear off.
3: Okay. That yes. shock
0: does wear off. But then you start to take in all the different aspects of the logistics that are going on. Yeah. And you can see the dance, right? The dance that all <laughs> these guys have to perform. Yeah. From the top end at Coletta to some of the guys that we talked to that um, have the the Harley motorcycles that are 1,000 horsepower, two-cylinder yes. nitro motorcycles. Because
1: and, they're racing all classes of cars at these events.
0: Exactly. So you've got cars that are actually still Kind of cars, right? And you have, I mean, there's a lot to take in, and the dance that everybody's doing to make it possible. You know, if you really think about, it, okay, so they're doing seven to ten thousand dollars a every, for the very for, top
1: level team for the top
0: level teams. When
1: you really, you if know, you win everything down,
0: if you win, that's eighty thousand dollars because you're doing eight runs. Okay, imagine the guys obviously that don't have. There was cars that didn't have any sponsor stickers on them. Oh, yeah. They're just doing it for the love of it. And there were some guys that were some pretty worn dudes. You yeah. know, They look like a good leather tool belt that had been worn <laughs> for about 10 years. <laughs> they, were, they were awesome. I mean, they talked to us. They were great guys, but they were well-worn in, right? They were, okay. were well-worn in, is I think, the way you can put it. They were still there. Yeah. And I think that those guys live and work away from the track just so that they can be there right, every weekend just so, they can, just so they can get out and just so they can put their car on that track for that four to six seconds or whatever it is that they're doing in their car.
1: Yeah, it's that nuts. Is, that shows just the dedication and the passion. And the other thing we didn't mention, wh- I don't know if you learned this, but when I'm talking um, to Bob and some of the other mechanics there, a lot of these mechanics, when they're not working for the top fuel team, they have the, uh, their own drag cars that they yeah, run. Out, they can't get their fill. <laughs>
0: they're out there doing more and more of it. It's yeah, nuts. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible. So I, I implore everybody, wherever you are, I mean, they're all over the place. The, yeah, just, they are. Just go. Just And one thing –
1: it's it's not something that translates to tv no no you need to be there you got to gotta experience be there. this
0: and uh, once you're there once you start getting acclimated to it and you start understanding the logistic- logistics of how it all works it's really really interesting it's and, very uh, cool I found myself angry because I wanted to see what f- happened on Sunday after we were there, Yeah. and I missed it on TV because I just forgot, and I was <laughs> upset that I didn't get to find out. So then I had to go online and find out who did what and who won and everything else. Right,
1: you actually get into it. Yeah,
0: I was, I was, I was into it, trying to figure it out, and that's, and that's kind of the way it is with a lot of things, right? You're not into Formula One until you are into Formula One, mm-hmm. because there's no reason for you to go watch it
1: if you're not invested. Yeah, what's the right.
0: point? Right. So it, you know, it, but this one, like unlike most things grabs you around the neck pretty hard oh yeah right away
1: yeah it's it's definitely worth attending at least one just for the experience and once you attend that one you're gonna want to go back
0: that's right so i want you guys to hit that subscribe button leave us a five star review if you'd like i would really appreciate it leave a few words there um we're gonna have a contest coming up pretty soon yes we I think. will i'm
1: gonna wait to announce that until the beginning of september here okay
0: that sounds good um You can sign up for our Patreon. It's five dollars a month. That gets you access to exclusive episodes. Ten dollars a month gets you a T-shirt. Twenty-five gets you a signed print by me. Uh, Yeah, of your choice. Of your choice. Whatever you want. Just look through my Instagram. Or we can, you know, if there's something that you really like, I'll help you find it. I hope this. uh, This. I hope my passion for what I experienced came through (laughs) a little bit on the episode. I was really worried about being able to explain how cool it, it was.
1: Yeah. How do you? How do you? I guess convey something that's just so. Violent and over the top and mind boggling, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.
1: Take care.